Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 14th of May. We are into our third week looking at chapter 14 of the Gospel according to John. 
And this week we've moved on to Jesus telling his disciples that when he's gone, they'll not be left alone. Our music includes songs by Keith and Christine Getty, Andy Flanagan and Carol King. Just a couple of notices this week. The first is to say that we'll be showing the third season of The Chosen on Tuesdays at 2.30pm and 7.30pm beginning on the 23rd of May and all are welcome. Finally, the church magazine for May is now available from the church or cafe and also online. And now our call to worship, some verses from Psalm 66. Let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praises. Our lives are in his hands and he keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. You captured us in your net and laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. Now I come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill the vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows that I made when I was in deep trouble. That is why I am sacrificing burnt offerings to you the best of my rams as a pleasing aroma, and a sacrifice of bulls and male goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God, who did not ignore my prayer, or withdraw his unfailing love from me.
Living God, spirit within us, we gather to worship you in spirit and in truth. Be real and known to us. Help us for a moment to put aside fripperies and glitz, all the jobs still to be done, the tasks that await us, and look instead to you for truth, meaning and purpose. Make yourself known in the words and in the silence. With you, O God, we are surrounded by love, by meaning and purpose, peace and completeness. You are our all, our grounding and our reason for being. You are our truth and in you we put our trust. In you we believe. In you we find strength and purpose, joy and hope. You are known to us in our imperfection. We glimpse you and catch our breath at the wonder of the revelation. We hear an echo and we strain our ears to hear it again. We sense your presence and we tense our being wanting more. You are within us and yet beyond us. We adore you for what we know and for what is still to be revealed. Spirit of God, move within us. Illuminate our minds, our beings, to see our failings and faults, to see our neglect of those around us, those who are lonely and untouched by the love of others or their love of you. Forgive us for being so self-centred that others get pushed to the periphery of our living and our loving. Forgive us that so often our faith is an add-on and not an imperative in our daily lives. Illuminate our lives, that our faith in you and our knowledge of your love permeates our every word and breath. The Spirit of God moves within us, floods our being, cleanses and renews us, and sets us free of the burdens and pains, the faults and the failings that stop us from being the people we are called to be. The Spirit of God never leaves us or abandons us. Be assured, forgiveness is ours. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. It was Eurovision time last night, although it seems to have been running all week, with a launch event last weekend and then semi-finals during the week. There have been many memorable performances through the years, Do you remember Conchita Verst, who won nine years ago? While it wasn't the first time that transgender issues had been raised in Eurovision, what was unusual was that Ms Verst, while dressed and made up as one would expect of a female, also had a luxuriant full beard. After the event, I saw that someone had noticed a similarity between Conchita Verst and a man in a TV advert. You might have seen it, as it's been running for some years. It's set in a men's sports changing room where Joan Collins is complaining that someone has taken her deodorant. 
one of the blokes in the changing room offers Joan Collins a chocolate bar and says that his friend turns into a right diva when he's hungry. When Miss Collins takes a bite, she turns into a bloke with a beard. The reason I mention this is because the chocolate bar is a Snickers, which is one of those products that has changed its name, having previously been called Marathon. This is not a unique situation, and other food products have also been rebranded. Opal fruits became Starburst. In the kitchen and bathroom, Jif became Sif, and all of these changes were intended to bring the UK market into line with Europe. Obviously, Jacob Rees-Mogg would have been working on having these names revert to their proper British versions as one of the Brexit bonuses that he was working on last year. Another name change for a different reason was when the Spastic Society became Scope. Spastic had been a word that has been used in a technical way to describe a condition in which muscles flex or contort in an abnormal fashion. Unfortunately, spastic became a general term of abuse, and it was felt unhelpful to use the word in the title of the society, which helped people with this condition. Hence the name change to scope. All these names were changed for a purpose, the purpose being to help identify the product or organisation. There is a significant name change in the chapter that we're looking at today, although it didn't occur in the particular section that we're looking at. However, if we'd read on a little further and if we'd been reading from the Bible available to us a hundred years ago, say, we might have read this. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. If I read to you the same passage in a contemporary version, the message, you hear something different. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I have told you. There are two particular words that Eugene Peterson has translated differently from the original language. The first is that comforter has become friend. This word comfort has, rather like cheerful, changed its meaning between the 17th and 21st centuries. Comfort meant to instill strength, while cheerful was to be full of cheer, full of courage, as in the Passion Tide hymn, My Song is Love Unknown. Yet cheerful he to suffering goes, that he his foes from thence might free. The second word, and the one on which I want us to focus, is ghost. There is very little that's good to say about the idea of a ghost in 21st century English. A ghost can be defined as an apparition of a dead person, which is believed to appear or become manifest to the living, typically as a nebulous image. All in all, this is not a very encouraging picture, even when the word holy is placed in front of ghost. I'm not suggesting that it is anything more than a coincidence, but even in the more modern language that's been used for the third person of the Trinity, there remains a degree of suspicion surrounding the Holy Spirit. This is surely because the Spirit is mysterious in a way that neither Father nor Son are. We know what a Father is. We know what a Son looks like. And Jesus came in order to show us God with a human face, God with whom we can relate Jesus was God in human form, so we can understand who God is. 
While the father is unseen, we know what a father is, and scripture gives him a voice and a personality. In contrast, the spirit is unheard as well as unseen. The spirit is uncontrolled and unpredictable, like the movement of the wind. Scripture speaks about the spirit indwelling in a way that sounds like an invasion of the body, a spiritual haunting. It is hardly surprising that the way in which this indwelling by the Spirit is described is disturbing when fiction offers us the picture of people who are possessed by demonic spirits which take over the mind and the body of the one they possess, so causing them to do odd things. Possession by God's Spirit could be said to be similar, except that God's Spirit causes us to do good things. I hesitate to say this, but I suspect that many of us are also slightly nervous about the way that the Spirit is first introduced to us in the Gospel according to Luke. We're almost teased in the last chapter when Jesus tells us, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. We then have to wait until Luke's second book, the Acts of the Apostles, to find out what it is that Jesus' Father had promised. There, before Jesus leaves the disciples, he tells them that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And yet still there is little to suggest how this would happen, and we have to wait until Acts chapter 2 for that. We celebrate Pentecost in a couple of weeks' time, and we will read again the story that Luke tells of the disciples hiding away together in Jerusalem. We will remind ourselves of the sound like the blowing of a violent wind that filled the room and the tongues of fire that rested on their heads. The Spirit of God filled them and they began to speak in languages with which they were unfamiliar. I think that we take this story for granted and so ignore what must have seemed an extremely frightening event. There was the violent sound, the presence of flames and possession by a spirit which caused them to speak words that were unintelligible to them. None of this could be considered comforting in the modern understanding of that word. However, if Luke's version of the story of Jesus and the beginnings of the church had been lost, we would have been left with a very different picture of the promised coming of God's Spirit. Mark, because of the very abrupt ending to his story of the resurrection, of course, says nothing. Matthew makes an allusion to the ongoing presence of Jesus with the disciples in the last words that he speaks, although he makes no reference to this being mediated through God's Spirit. It's only in the Gospel according to John, other than in Luke, that we find Jesus talking about God's Spirit. Here, Jesus doesn't just promise God's Spirit, he also delivers it. In the penultimate chapter of the Gospel according to John, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples can almost be forgotten, such is the interest we have in Thomas asking to see the marks of crucifixion before he'll believe. But this is what Jesus says to the disciples on the first occasion that he appears among them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. No wind, no flames, no unintelligible speech. It was just the gentle passing of breath from one human being to another. In an echo of God's breathing into the first man and woman that he'd made, so Jesus breathes a sign of new life, God's Spirit, into these disciples. Right at the beginning of day one, God's Spirit hovered over the waters. Now God's Spirit has inhabited humanity. We call the coming of Jesus into our world an act of incarnation. 
I've not heard the coming of the Spirit expressed in this way, but it seems to me that God's Spirit coming to live within us is no less an act of incarnation than God's Son coming to live among us. If Jesus is God's face come into our world, then the Holy Spirit is God's personality come into our world. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was an unrepeatable act. We're encouraged to understand the Spirit as unpredictable and uncontrollable, and yet there are many features of the Holy Spirit that are consistent. For example, the Holy Spirit prompts and provokes creativity and innovation. The Holy Spirit prompts in a mysterious, often covert fashion. The Holy Spirit is not given to acts of showmanship and therefore, we might presume, the Holy Spirit doesn't encourage the same in those whom the Spirit inhabits. So why, according to Jesus in our passage, does the Spirit come? The primary role of the Spirit that we can infer from our passage is that the Spirit comes as a replacement for Jesus. The physical presence of Jesus is replaced by the spiritual presence of God's Spirit. Rather than be alongside them, as Jesus had been, the Holy Spirit, we read in John chapter 14, verse 17, will be not only with them, but also in them. A few verses after our reading finished, we read that the purpose of the Spirit's coming to be with and in us is to teach us all things and remind us of everything Jesus has said to us. Verse 18 in our passage refers to the idea that the disciples are going to feel they've been left abandoned in this world while Jesus has moved on. The word that Jesus uses is orphaned. I'll not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. We must presume that when Jesus speaks of coming to them that he is referring to his coming as God's spirit. And yet life would never be the same for these women and men in a way they were being asked to grow up. They would not be left on their own but life wouldn't be the same ever again. The idea that there would be an intimacy between God and humanity wasn't new. It existed in the Garden of Eden when God walked in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. Although Adam and Eve were driven out of paradise and forced to make their own way in the world, they were not left as orphans, abandoned. In Leviticus chapter 26 verse 12, God says to Israel, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. In Exodus chapter 6 verse 7, God says to them, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Much later, when Israel had been exiled in Babylon, and there is every appearance of Israel having been orphaned, abandoned by God, God speaks again, so you will be my people and I will be your God. This is a theme that runs right through scripture, Old and New Testaments. Women and men will not be orphaned, abandoned by God. It's a theme that's there in the beginning and it's there at the end in the last pages of the Bible. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Jesus teaches us to live in the midst of life as it is now in the knowledge that we're not alone. We've not been left orphaned. We have not been abandoned. Another aspect of the Holy Spirit's work among us is that the Spirit brings to mind all that Jesus has said. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of remembering. The opposite of having been abandoned is being reconnected. Another way of describing this is being remembered, which is sort of the opposite of being dismembered. The Spirit connects us to our home. 
that place from which we have come, that place where souls are made in the bosom of the Father. This home is dimly remembered, but the Spirit is able to connect us to this place, to connect us to something bigger than ourselves and our world. The Spirit's voice speaks to us of this world. The Spirit speaks in a voice that is inside us. God does this because he cherishes us. There's a story I read about an elderly woman who lives in a care home. The woman's name is Thelma, and she sits and stares, smiling out of the window. And as she sits, she repeats a rhyme. I love you little, I love you big, I love you like a little pig. In her younger days, Thelma had been a teacher in an infant school. Her little rhyme was her own special way of greeting the children each morning. As she helped them remove their coats, she would whisper those words in every little ear. It was her way to let each child know she possessed a special place in her heart. Thelma now suffers from dementia, and those days long ago are remembered, while this morning, yesterday and last week are lost in a fog. Perhaps Thelma and her rhyme suggest a way to understand one of the most cryptic things Jesus says in the Gospel. I am in my Father, he assures his disciples in our reading, and you in me and I in you. Maybe this saying points to some mysterious mystical indwelling, but perhaps Jesus has something more familiar in mind, something more easily recognisable. I wonder if he is referring to a depth of loyalty and commitment, a love that is typically reserved for the closest members of one's own family. This particular kind of love is expressed during moments of great challenge, moments when we say something even stronger than the colloquial, I'm behind you or I'm standing with you. We say then, you are in my heart and mind. It is a kind of cherishing. Compared to various other attributes we assign to God, cherishing has received relatively little theological attention. Maybe this is because it's so easily absorbed into the broader category of love. And yet cherishing represents a specific kind of love, or better, a specific way of loving, one that inspires deep commitment and stubborn loyalty. It's about a merging of heart, mind and will. All this may be difficult to put into words, but it is immediately recognisable to those who've experienced it. Thelma gave this kind of love to her children, that is, she gave them a sustained cherishing, not merely mindless repetition. This is why she greeted every child with a hug and a rhyme, and it's why, many years later, she can't seem to stop greeting them. Her children reside in her, and for those who accept this rarest of gifts, she resides in them. I love you little, I love you big, I love you like a little pig. Does she always do that? Someone asked Thelma's nurse. Oh no, she replied, only when she's very happy. The nurse paused, but then again, Thelma has had a good life and she's happy most of the time. Perhaps this is what our creator God feels through the gift of son and spirit, God feels an eternal joy, a joy that arises out of cherishing. And, like God in heaven, Thelma expresses her love to individuals as they pass through her consciousness. She keeps them in mind, they live in her, and she lives on in them, at least in those who have ears to hear. 
as I suggested earlier, we will be thinking about the coming of the Spirit in wind and flame in a couple of weeks' time when we celebrate Pentecost. But just for now, let's also remember that the Spirit comes to be with us, to remind us and remember us. The Spirit comes because God cherishes us. He forever holds us close to the heart from which we came.
Let us pray. Dear Lord, we bring into your love those who do not know you and your love, those who've turned away from you, those who struggle to accept you, those who refuse to listen. May your love touch them and transform their lives. Dear Lord, we bring into your love those who need parental love, those who are alone, those who are abused, those who are neglected. May your love touch them and transform their lives. Dear Lord, we bring into your love those who seek the truth, those who work in the justice system, those who campaign and advocate on behalf of the voiceless. May your love touch them and transform their lives. May we show the power and presence of your love in our church, our community, and in our world. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We are not made for the harbor, we are made for the sea. Though at times it's wild and cold and dark, it's where we're meant to be. And launch yourself as a battle, though we may be tossed about. But your presence in the storm, it walls us in, calls us out. You left a safe port of heaven for the elements of earth. This God at risk exposed You lift our eyes to horizons Where that heaven crushes earth And this worn world is transformed We are not made for the harmony We are made for the sea Though at times it's wild and cold and dark It's where we're meant to be And launch yourself as a Bible Though we may be tossed about But your presence in the storm, it walls us in, calls us out. You sent us out to the market, sent us out to the fields. Jesus, hope ambassadors. We take no purse for the journey, but take your authority to declare that all is yours. Leaving his mark Out to the factory His spirit the spark Out to the school gates And out to the bars May we risk What was never on We are not made for the harbor We are made for the sea Though at times it's wild and cold and dark It's where we're meant to be You launch yourself But your presence in the storm, it walls us in and calls us out. We are not made for the heart, we are made for the sea. Oh, at times it's wild and cold and dark. It's where we're meant to be. We launch yourself as a battle. We be tossed about. But your presence in the storm, it walls us in and calls us out. 
I've taken the words of our last song out of the context that the singer Carol King intended because it fits today's theme. The song's called Everybody's Got the Spirit. But first, a final prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your promise of the spirit of truth to guide and lead us. Send us out with hearts ready to welcome your gift, eyes open to see and ears eager to hear, that we may live and reveal your truth and love in every moment, day by day. Amen.